welcome to episode 21 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Christina Storm. Christina has 22 years of software development experience with Microsoft Corporation spanning diverse businesses including Windows, Office, Visual Studio, Xbox, SQL Server, Power BI, and Azure Machine Learning. Christina has extensive knowledge in managing the product development lifecycle from initial planning phase to delivery, both for established products and for new incubations. Passionate about creating products that people love, Christina's specialities include program management, user experience design, and design research. Currently, uh, Christina is the director of design for several big data workloads in the Cortana Analytics family, including Azure Machine Learning, Data Factory, and Stream Analytics. Outside of Microsoft, Christina is an active member of the Seattle Angel Investor Community and is currently in her fifth year of mentoring entrepreneurs during Techstars Startup Accelerator programs. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much. Well, I'm excited to have you here. So uh, before I get into my, my questions, can you explain a little more about your position of director of design at Microsoft? Is this the same thing as a creative director or art director? I believe that to be very similar, but I have never worked outside of Microsoft. So well, I'll have to explain what it means, and then you have to put some color into it and, and tell me if it's the same thing. <laughs> so my standard, yeah, my standard title is Principal Director of User Experience, and I often simply pre- abbreviate it to say Director of Design, you know, short for UX Design. And the responsibilities that fall under this job function at Microsoft, they, they're two major categories. One is user research, so anything around qualitative and quantitative research. So qualitative, like the need finding, you know, behavioral research, standard usability studies, benchmark studies, all those kinds of things. And then on the design side, it's all with you know initial brainstorming. What should we be doing? What is this product like? Who is it for? You know, storyboarding, you know, napkin sketches, wireframing, and then slowly moving more into you know, like a mid-level fidelity into hi-fi visual design, branding, all of that, you know, gets processed in click-throughs. Sometimes we create CSS, sometimes it's just redlined final art, and of course, all the style guides around it. So those are kind of the two big functions that almost anybody like me at Microsoft has, those two roles in user research part and the design part. And uh, yeah, the, the titles are, the standard title is Principal Director of User Experience. All right. Yeah, that sounds like a creative director. But um, so the one thing I wanted to follow up with that wasn't in the initial my list of questions, and it's something I've been recently working with my students on is as an educator, I give them a project, but the parameters are pretty clearly defined. I mean, I, they know what, you know, I pretty much tell them exactly what they need. So mm-hmm. they never have that discovery phase that you just talked about, you know, where they're you're helping them through the ideation. Is this the appropriate? And can you describe a little bit more what that process looks like or maybe in the context of like for graphic designers and how prepared they are for that initial phase? 
That's a really good question. It's it's tough because it's kind of standard product development, right? And you got to figure out when you want to venture into a particular area, you know, what that area is. And I think for students, the best thing to immerse themselves into an exercise like that would be to volunteer with any startup that needs, you know, visual or interaction design help, which they always do. They'd be so grateful for anyone who comes out of your program to help them. You know, so so immerse yourself in, in one of those activities because a startup always has to figure out exactly this. What is it what we want to do? We have an idea. Who is it for? You know, what is the competition like in that market? Who? What, what are the other players doing? Is there really an opening in the market? Is there an addressable market for target users that would like this product or this idea or this system, this, you know, whatever it is? And, and, and how can we tease that out, right? And I think what students will find, once you've been through that process once, you would know how to do it again the next time. And in a lot of that is the classic, I'll call it the Steve Blank methodology or Eric Ries, you know, the startup methodology of mm-hmm. customer development. And in all of you reading up on that, learning about that, practicing that is, is a real strong muscle to build. So it's not a huge detriment then when students walk in to, you know, my I, I when new young designers walk in, um, that's not a huge detriment that they d- aren't adept at being able to like help out, pitch in, you know, like draw things out in those meetings, in those initial meetings. I don't think so. I think they'll learn this very quickly. Okay, yeah, it's something that you you get better at the more you do. So yeah, and, and you're there to kind of help guide it anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I'm also curious a little bit about, again, I'm, I'm thinking in the classroom, we're so used to the, the, the teacher, the instructor is, is the everything and the designer is just kind of like, you know, they don't get a sense of what a real working environment's like. So what exactly is a project manager um, in, 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 in the context of Microsoft? What, what, do you, what exactly do you do as a project manager? Yeah, and that's, that's a very unique function at Microsoft and a little bit different in other software companies. So I'll give you a little bit of the makeup of what the teams at Microsoft looks like. And I, I think they are similar in some, other, in some of the other big software companies, and they may be a little bit different in, in other types of companies. So in a typical engineering team, and design is part of engineering at Microsoft, you have program managers, we call them. We have developers, that's our programmers, but we call them developers, and then we have designers. And under designers, we have both design researchers, interaction designers, and visual designers. And in that combination of people, you have some roles and responsibilities. And you've probably seen in my profile that I worked a number of years as a technical program manager at Microsoft, mm-hmm. all the ways to even managing teams and program management in, in entire projects that way. And the biggest difference for me, you know, comparing uh, my role as a program manager, as a principal group program manager versus what I am today, a principal design director, is that I am no longer in charge of the schedule, the release of the overall product. While a lot of the functions are hand in hand and there's a lot of overlap, but I am not preoccupied with shipping this to market on time or releasing this update if it's a service you know, on time. The program management still takes care of that and has always done that. And that, that's a real differentiation, right? So as such, 
program management compared to my current role has to work harder on design trade-offs. You know, the program managers, they always the they have the tough, you know, butt and seat that needs to apply the understanding of the timing and rationale for design choices. I happily sit there and go, you know, I push as hard as I can for all of the things that I care about that make the optimum user experience that they all make it in into a particular release. And so they have to fight me, right? And 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 eventually, of course, because I have a lot of empathy for that role, I will say, okay, I'm good. Well, I'm backing off. Let's go ahead and, and get this release out. And we incrementally, you know, add the other things in that didn't make it in the next weeks. But that that's a that's a key differentiation. And I'll give you likewise something that strongly overlaps with my role. Um, you know, customer market and, and insight, mm-hmm. you know, as a program manager, I would sift through market data and apply lots of research methods to to gather additional data where we would need it in order to make good decisions. And that really strongly overlaps. You know, I think sometimes it's like the program management team has time for it and then they'll take care of it. Sometimes I have time for it and I'll take care of it. So there's lots of roles that are really Lots of responsibilities in our roles that are really similar, and then there's a few distinct differences. That research that you just talked about was that the market research, or is that the design research and the user research? Are they different? The one that, yeah, the one that I just talked about is the market research, and there that will get taken care of in a combination between program management and design. And some some teams design does it, some t- teams program management does it. When it gets to really the user research, it's almost always the um, design team or the, the user experience team that takes care of that. So what is that deliverable, the, 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 the ladder that you were just talking about, this, mm-hmm. this extra, that the project manager or would be putting together? What does that look like when you give that to the design team? And how does it help them? Or, or what do they glean from it? Or what, are they, what should they be looking for? In the, in the um, can you specify exactly what, what aspect of it you're, you're the, interested in? The marketing one. Okay, got it. Yeah. For example, my team did a, a, an entire competitive deep dive into a large number of competitive tools, open source tools in a particular technical area that we were investigating. And often you, you know, my team took care of it, all my designers, I gave one product to each designer and say, use it, install it, play with it, create something with it, do heuristic evaluation, and then let's let's do a one-day debrief on the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, typically you could totally do that on the program management team because it's more of a hands-on kind of thing. So it falls in between the two disciplines, really. So it, it also speaks to an aspect of skills that I'm looking for in designers, you know, that designers... If they work in software and in designing software, that they are at any given time fit to be uh, assigned such a such a task, where, where I say, please go ahead and and use uh, I'll use an open source as an example. Use R Studio to create a small data wrangling project in which you are loading data from this public website, you know, like data.gov or something like that, and you're creating a few basic transformations over the data and outcomes a newly created data set, and then you know take good note of your entire experience as you're doing it and the entire workflow you're going through and uh, any sort of sharp edges or moments of delight. And so, you know, this type of task is squarely in between program management and design. And frankly, 
any pro program manager, product manager, or designer should be able to do such an activity. You know, that, that perfectly leads into my next question, which is when it comes to design education, we don't assign projects like you described, like redesign the Microsoft Word menu bar or what yeah. should this console interface look like or how do we, you know, extract this data into this other um, interface. Yeah. So we stick to branding, print and web projects. So how prepared are young designers coming out of print heavy or print only programs for the type of work that you just described? They are a little bit less prepared than some other students. So it's almost like what you're hitting on here for me is it depends exactly what the student studied in university, mm -hmm. right? Um, it, if they chose a track in which they were hoping for a job later in the career to have you know, a position maybe in a magazine and print design, then the, all the things you mentioned, they're perfectly appropriate for that, right? A company like Microsoft does some print design somewhere, <clears throat> but most certainly not in the core engineering function as we're making in, in, the, in the software engineering teams, right? It's a different type of thing. It's a different type of job. So here's the, I think for me, the, the, the question kind of is like this. If as a student, you don't know about those differences and you find out later when you're already done with your with your college degree that, oh, you kind of wished you want, had done a little bit more HCI, so human-computer interaction, but you've studied more, you know, print and, and traditional visual design, what can you do to supplement that, right? Because, again, you know, students may be perfectly happy with a job in, in print somewhere, that, that that's what they chose as a career and that's what they'd like to go to. If they change their mind a little bit later, it's very easy to acquire some of those HCI skills. You know, there's a wonderful course on Coursera.org taught by Scott Klemmer. He's an associate professor of cognitive science and computer science. And I believe uh, currently it's hosted by University of San Diego, the human-centered design course. It's an introduction course. You know, any student who has done a lot of, has basically finished their visual design degree, for example, could go through that and get all the basics done, you know, in a matter of a few weeks. They go through even a, an entire real-world project and they have something to show in their portfolio. So I think it's really not such a big deal to acquire a little bit of that skill on top of all the awesome branding and print and web design skills that the student already comes with, you know, which is a super awesome foundation. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've never really thought about assigning that as a project. I think just even just making students aware of it in the classroom yeah. is will will be enough, or at least to get them going in a in a different direction. Um, another uh, f question I had is again, you know, this is you know when I in the classroom, I always start off with we're designing something from scratch. Um, that's always the, the project. And in regards to the Cortana analytics suite, um, there's already branding set. There's already a systems and software and products in place. How, does, how do you go about designing for that, for something that's already in place versus designing something that's you know, you know imagining something from the ground up? Is there a, a different process at some point in there? Yeah, I think that the process is a little bit different between the two, but it's also similar. You know, I think designers will always find themselves in the same situation. Either there is they are getting assigned to a project that has already an established brand, 
or it's a brand new thing and they have to start from scratch. And in my team, it's a mix of the two. It's one or the other and they kind of alternate, you know, so the designers never have to work only on one or the other. So when they work with an existing brand, they first need to familiarize themselves with the established branding guidelines. And then when they work on a new project, they will be part of the team that establishes those guidelines, right? In accordance with the higher level Microsoft overall brand guidelines. And these overall brand guidelines, you know, the collaboration happens with our corporate branding team. But in, in my case, you know, on the big data analytics products, we do have a lot of freedom to create branding materials. We do get like very key aspects of the identity signed off by core um, branding. But by the by the you know by the corporate branding group, but in, mm-hmm. in the day to day stuff is um, pretty much up to us, and and by the way that the term brand even is a little bit tricky here. You know Microsoft only has a few official brands, but every product sort of ends up accruing value into supporting those major brands with with its own identity, and so in in other words to summarize it, you know students should be able to do both and never have to worry about how hard or, or you know, inconvenient it is to um, be consistent with an existing brand. A lot of materials are always there. You know, they, in our case, we have major style guides for all the existing products and coming in new is not going to be a problem as long as they can read style guides, they'll be just fine. You know, I think personally, it's always harder to come up with something from scratch. So I think it's great that you're mostly doing stuff from scratch actually. So that's my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, the the reason I wanted to ask that question was when pr- in print design, when you once you send it off to the printer, it's it's done. I mean, you you could re you could redesign it and reprint it, but it's done. Um, with digital design, especially the web, I mean, it's it's never done. You can always change something. You can always fix something, and so you can always iterate. And I have a kind of a hard time helping students like realize you know what what you perceive as the finished product is actually we just gone through alpha to beta and now this is release one it's a point in time it's merely a point in time you're right and so i was wondering what does that you know is that the same kind of thinking when you have to rebrand something or like continue on a project as opposed to starting it up from scratch does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it, okay. it does. Yeah. All right. Um, so another question is, um, how involved are your designers with the developers in regards to both just like, you know, basic everyday uh, decisions? Um, do they work in tandem? But also in regards to performance, like how well does the... Um, the software perform or what what application or whatever it is yeah for me this comes down to the 10 usability heuristics for user interface design which was originally published by Jakob Nielsen in 1995 and it's still spot on today I believe and you know we've used those usability heuristics throughout every project that we've worked on and we've added a few additional things to it so we've extended it a little bit in one category we added to to the ones that Jakob Nielsen published what is called speed and harmony and you know and so in speed and harmony I look for a few things that I ask all of my designers to keep very close attention to for example is the perceived performance of the system fast enough that the user isn't waiting for it to catch up 
But if the users have to wait, you know, do they know for how long they have to wait? And, you know, and then there are the other things that have to do a little bit more with speed and harmony together, you know, is the, the right information shown at the right time to the user, those types of things, right? But specifically to your question about performance, so mm -hmm. perceived performance is the part that I'm really keen on, that all designers keep an eye on that. So when do we see that? Well, often it's like when the first time we get like an alpha to test with, because up until that point, it's all prototype work, right? It's design work, it's wireframes, it's stuff that runs in our design systems and not in the actual code. And so once we see it in, running in the actual code, we do a run through ourselves. And then we're often, of course, initially disappointed. That's a little slower than we thought it would be. And then we go, okay, then we'll point out the areas in which it really, the perceived performance you know, the user sitting there looking at it going, what? I just clicked this. Is it done? Is it not? Why? This is kind of slow. You know, that we poke into those areas and point those out. Because in the end of the day, that is part of user experience design. Um, and so to the programmers, um, depending on what you're working on, I, I'm because... I would assume that like software that's native to the computer versus a web application um, performance would have like performance is important, but they would have two different approaches. So I'm curious, like more maybe on the more on the web side of it, mm -hmm. would um, would the developers kind of sit down and, and look at, um, you know, mockups and, and designs that the designers are working on and say, hey, that's that could be trouble down the road. I mean, do they have the dialogues early? Um, in your model, or do they happen, the, you know, waterfall yeah, later. approach? It, they, they, both things happen, right? And I believe it is often the case of the experience of the developer, you know, having seen or done something already. And the other component that, that matters here is, you know, how crazy do, did we get in our design, right? And I'll, I'll, I say this, you know, it's halfway funny on purpose because sometimes you, you come up with some designs that are a little bit out there, meaning there may be motion graphics in action or there may be fluid UI interactions that look amazing when you get them right, but they're more taxing on the system. And then all of a sudden you have to have those kinds of conversations. So when it's all standard stuff, you don't have many of these conversations. But the moment you're bringing in like animations and uh, or heavy movement, I'll give you other examples out of my technical area here, you know, data load, we, you know, in the big data analytics, all of my users of my systems, they immediately load some data and it can be gigabytes or terabytes of data. And that's a heavy tax on the mm -hmm. system, right? And so we we come up with a lot of things, you know, how can we page through things or how can we partially put a result on the screen for the user, even if it's just a few records so that they have something to look at and decide whether they even loaded the right thing before that we make them sit there and wait too long. And those are kinds of conversations we have with developers early on. And then we do have to trust them that, that their assessment is right when they say, look, this can't be done or only at significant cost. And often, though, we also go back and say, yes, there is significant cost, but the value is very high. Let's build that muscle up a little bit. Maybe we need to add another one or two developers in that area so that we can have that more fluid interaction. But it, it, everything is subject to negotiation. You'll probably already get that sense. You know, Nothing is ever black or white. Everything is something that we discuss a lot. We collaborate a lot over. Everything is done sort of together and never in isolation. So it's never like the developer gets to make the decision and then pushes up back to the 
the designer who goes off and does stuff, you know, everything is sort of together. And often we all try to do a, you know, best work and we go to, you know, executive level design, like the VP of all of these products gets to see it and says, well, that's kind of slow here, you guys. And we already tried to do the best we could, but then we do go back to the drawing board and push it further at that point. I I love the problem that you just kind of posed out there as a potential project for students, because again, we never think about um, this type of design, but you mentioned that we've got a, you know, it's a ma- this huge data set that's going to take forever to load. But once yeah. they click load, they have no idea if they're loading the right data set. So that's like amazing just to think about like, okay, so let's design some kind of warning that, hey, this is what you're loading, <laughs> why it's loading yeah. in the background so they can at least get a sense of what it's going. And so that, yeah, I, I've just never yeah. thought about that as a, as a project, but that's really interesting these are the the projects of the current time you know people are drowning in data and every company has to sort of process data in one way or another you you probably process a lot of data in your (laughs) in your spare time and in your professional time too and it's a very common problem and you you know it's taxing on the system you know your users are going to wait there for something you know what can you display to them ideally in a combination of hey this is going to take a little while but look what we already got for you here, you know? And and so it's a, it's an interesting area in general. And we, we are very, very keen on always having that in mind with everything that we do in our software. Well, it's something I'm going to think of to throw into my projects. <laughs> so I, I've asked this question many times before without getting a definitive answer, and, and there probably isn't one, but I'm going to ask away, uh, what type of work in a student's portfolio gives you the best indication that they will be successful as an interactive designer at Microsoft? Ah, so portfolio, that is often a quite generic piece. And, you know, it it is very interesting what you go through as a potential hiring manager, you know, what you're looking for, right? So number one, the first thing that I want to see is if I go to somebody's portfolio, I want to have a little bit of an emotional experience and I want to have an emotional reaction to it. Like call it a little bit of a wow effect, right? I click on something, the first thing comes up and I go like, wow, that, that looks that looks awesome. That's a, That feels really good, right? No matter what the pieces are that are in the portfolio, but that first thing of I click on the link and something comes up and I go, wow, that, that looks nice. Okay, so we're... We're digging further, peeling the onion. If it's a website that I'm cl- uh, clicked on, uh, typically, I mean, I click on websites. I, I don't get anything in print. I've never seen a print portfolio in my life, and I, I don't think I will see one in my <laughs> career. <laughs> but that's all right, right? So yeah. it's on the web, and, and that's where it lives. And and um, I do want to get a feeling for how much of an effort that candidate made, even to design that website. You know, I don't, and I don't care if they took a template to start with and just started modifying it or feeding it their own stuff. I want to see how well it's composed, and I want to also kind of be able to judge whether whether that entire thing right away looks professional or more amateur, you know, and in both in the way it looks and also how it functions, you know, how the website itself functions, <laughs> right? And so there's that. And 
and and if all of the samples that are in there are completely fictitious, I get a little bit nervous, you know. So when, if I can see right away they're all just student projects, then I get a little bit nervous because I, I'd like, like to at least see one or two examples where the candidate did some real work for someone, you know. Volunteering is just fine. But I'd like to know that the real work, uh, work made it out into like a real product, you know, no matter how small. You know, it could be like an ebook or a website, web app, mobile app, client app, you know, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter, but it's got to be out in the wild. Now, I always give extra points for motion graphics in a portfolio if somebody made an animation or a little bit of a small video with a, something nice inside it, because I believe that motion will continue to play a stronger and stronger role in the future of interactive design. And, you know, we've applied it a few times in our applications to communicate like highly complex processes in, in quite elegant visual ways. So students who have built out a little bit their motion graphics knowledge, that, that is a big plus. And then, so I, I give you one more thing, but I yeah. don't see that in the portfolio, but I, I, you know, when I see something in the portfolio where I go like, you know, there could be something there. Before I decide to formally interview a student, I do give them a design exercise. And in the end of the day, this exercise is the single one thing that allows me to decide whether the candidate is, is going to be a great fit and a great hire for my team. And believe me or not, this exercise is a very simple little thing. I give them a brief that draws a little bit of a real world scenario in my case, I use a, a coffee ordering scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I draw the scenario of a, a real-world user. You know, this, this user is called Julie. She is a busy working professional and a mom. She drinks coffee to get her going in the morning. She has a particular coffee shop she loves going to. The lines are often very long when she gets there at 8.30 in the morning. And then I continue drawing the scenario where, you know, she has this crazy day. Stuff happened at home. She gets there. The line is super long. She has to leave the coffee shop without getting her coffee. And she has to dash to work. And that first meeting really doesn't go so well. She's not quite on because she hasn't had a chance to have her coffee. And so then I ask the candidate, you know, to provide a solution to that problem, right? And it all leads to, like, the design of a little coffee ordering app. And, you know, all I'm looking for is, you know, how the designer breaks this problem apart. Are they following a standard HCI process? You know, do they start with a user? Do they do a little bit of their own research? Like, did they go in a coffee shop and observe what's going on, talk to barista or to customers? Can they prototype after they interviewed some users? You know, how are the wireframes looking? Did they capture kind of the essence of what, what is needed here? Did they even test the prototype with a target user? And then I, I usually only ask them to do one or two screens of a visual comp, you mm -hmm. know, like a hi-fi comp, because I don't want people to spend too much time on it. I, I can see from the portfolio how good their visual skills are. And from this... You know, and from this little exercise, I see how well can they pry apart what really is a user need and can they structure it and feed it back to me in a way where I go like, you know, they got it. They they got it. They, they have empathy for the user. They have empathy for the problem. They didn't jump to conclusions too prematurely and, and they kind of worked their way through it, you know, and so they present this back to me in a PDF form and a little click through. We talk about it on the phone and based on that conversation, I can make a very good call whether or not would like to move this candidate through a formal interview. And you know what? I even 
utilize this again if I do invite them to a formal interview I set aside an hour and a half in my interview loop to have them debrief it with us. And I, I pull in a few more people from my team and I even say, look, we make this collaborative. You get to share with us what you did with for our, our customer, Julie, the, the busy mom who didn't get her coffee that morning. Mm-hmm. And then we sit in a room and we, we let them present what they've done with it. And then we kind of pry it apart. We say, what if Julie did this? And could we do that? And we really act for an hour and a half like we are a team already and we're trying to make it better for Julie. And, and also that helps me to see how this this candidate interacts with with a team with a with a group of people can they think on their feet can they listen to feedback will they be able to turn something around you know will they interact with us in a way and I don't look so much for things that people have done 20 years in the career no it can be very much a fresh perspective but I, I do I do look for that you know that group think the group collaboration they weigh the feet off of people, all of that. It's it's very important to me. I, I love the idea that popped into my mind, and I've done this before, and it's always been really better, but I don't do it consistently. And that's um, instead of giving them a project, give them a scenario, just like you said. Yeah. Um, and I, I think all of us need to do that more. I mean, but really, I, I think you explained that out, that idea a little bit better. Like, this is a scenario, this is that person. How can we make their life better? Um, and I, I, that should be the basis for just about any design project. <laughs> I think that'd be helpful that's, for both that, for you. That's how I see it. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how I see it too. All right. Well, woo, we're uh, we're almost out of time here. So, uh, Christina, um, before I let you go, is there anything you are working on that you would like to share, or something you want to promote, or maybe some I'm- final advice? You know what? I've already had the opportunity to share with you yeah. a little bit about the products that I work on. And, you know, so, you know, for me, it's always, I guess something that I would love to plug is that students that are coming out of school, no matter which one, you know, visual design, interaction design, HCI, to, to not think that they can't do it because they haven't studied something in depth, you know, and to also not, to not discount something that on the surface may look very geeky and very technical to them. You know, I'll, I'll be very explicit here. I've yeah. hired some 14 people in the last, you know, gosh, two years and they're very diverse and I don't look for, I, there's not a particular profile I look for. I look for a lot of raw potential and I've noticed a lot that people sometimes don't even want to apply for a particular position that I have because they think it's maybe it's aiming too high or maybe this is too geeky for them this is too technical all I need is people to have curiosity and empathy for users and at that point it doesn't matter if the user is Julie the busy mom who needs a coffee in the morning which would be a fun consumer app to design or in my case my users are data scientists with a PhD that need better tools and better systems to create predictive models and that may sound kind of scary and you know, students may shy away from applying to positions like that. But in the end of the day, it's the same thing. It's users with a problem. And all you have to have is curiosity about that problem. And don't be too nervous about that. the fact that you can't relate to the problem yourself. You may be able to relate to the coffee problem if you're a coffee drinker. But if you're not, you already can't relate to that anyways, you know. So I don't expect you to be a PhD in data science to be able to relate to that user, right? And that's that's my plug. 
understand that there's a lot of interesting positions in enterprise application design that may sound really hard on the surface, but day-to-day they are as fun as making coffee ordering apps for Julie. Oh, what was I going to say? It just, it just <laughs> escaped me there for a minute. But I think that's um, part of that problem is with design education that we just don't like promote these kind of uh, like these kind of problems, um, yeah. visual problems that if we were to do a better job of saying that, um, oh, no, it, it's the user research. That's what I was getting at. That's where the user research comes in. No, they don't need to be a Ph.D. That's no. where they, they yeah. do research. They yeah. get the information that they need. <laughs> so, no, that's and you immerse yourself, right? If you're not yeah. nervous about immersing yourself into somebody else's shoes, that's what it takes. You know, I think that's the kicker. If you, you will always stay a little bit on the outside if you're not willing to deep dive into somebody's shoes. And, but if you're curious and you were willing to do that and sit with people and they are willing to show you how they do their work. And from that, you can glean, you know, opportunities of improvement, how you can get them from A to Z faster. And gosh, that was a clunky step. And do you, did you see how long it took for them to wait for the result to pop up? You know, all those kinds of things. If you have that curiosity, any position, and, and no matter how complicated it sounds like, is completely doable. And as a designer, you can work some magic to make people's lives better. And that's that's really my my you know plug here to consider those types of roles. Don't worry that they may sound overly complex. You will be just fine if your curiosity is is big and you let it you know you let yourself be open to be inspired that way. Well. That's all we have time for today on episode 21 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Christina Storm, for being so generous with her time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you want to discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at designedu today, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes store. Thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.